from South Carolina Public Radio, this is the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on February 20th, 2023 from Des Moines, Iowa. Happy President's Day. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. This episode features an in-depth look at former Governor Nikki Haley's first swing through the first in the nation primary state of New Hampshire. And the lead loves hearing from everyone. That's why we have a voicemail box set up, folks, at 803-563-7169. I'm going to give you a prompt. Call and tell us who your favorite president is on this President's Day. No wrong answers. <laughs> I don't even know if I, I, maybe I do, I'm sure. But uh, let us know, send us your name, where you're calling from, and who your favorite president is. 803-563-7169. Now, yes, I'm in Iowa, but I'm going to talk about New Hampshire first on the South Carolina lead. Yeah, that is a little trifecta right there, the early voting states. That's where we are, folks. Now, New Hampshire, you can imagine, is a different state than South Carolina in many, many ways. There's only 1.4 million people here. Compare that with the 5 million back home. And some 40% of voters say they are undeclared, which means they're pretty much independent. They live free or die. And indeed, that's exactly what they're like here. People want small government. They don't want any more of it in their lives than is necessary. They want greater fiscal restraint, and they value high-quality education as well as parental involvement. The small state plays an outsized role in the presidential nominating process as the first in the nation primary state, at least on the Republican side in 2024. And folks here take that role incredibly seriously. They keep up with the news and pop into town halls like the two that Haley had in the quaint town of Exeter and on the campus of St. Anselm's College at the New Hampshire Institute of Politics, which is a bit of a mecca for presidential politics. At both events, Haley was introduced by 2022 Republican Senate candidate, retired Brigadier General Don Bulldock. He's a controversial one-time 2020 election result denier and anti-establishment candidate who Haley endorsed, but who lost to Senator Maggie Hassan in the state where the congressional delegation is solidly Democratic but the governor and legislature is Republican. More on that later. But let's start with some of the praise Bulldog heaped on Haley. So if you supported me, and even if you didn't support me, I am asking you to support her. She is everyone's candidate. I don't care if you're a Republican, Democrat, Independent. She doesn't see you that way. She sees you as an American. She sees you as someone that she wants to serve. That's the difference. That is the difference. I know, I got to know and talk to many, many national leaders. And she's the one that both my wife and I said, wow, if she runs for president, she's gonna have our full support. Whatever that means and whatever that gets you, (laughs) ma'am. This was Haley's second big endorsement following her introduction in Charleston by 5th District Congressman Ralph Norman. You will remember that Norman garnered national headlines over the past few months. First in December, when texts to Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, which were part of the January 6th investigation, made their way into the news. And one of them was from Norman calling for Trump to implement Marshall, spelled M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L, instead of Marshall Law, days before President Joe Biden's inauguration. 
Telling Meadows, quote, our last hope is invoking martial law, two exclamation points. All caps, please urge to president to do so, exclamation points. His office later said that, quote, that text message came from a source of frustration on the heels of countless unanswered questions about the integrity of the 2020 election, quote. But here's part of Norman's remarks in Charleston. But when President Trump came along, he reminded Republicans how to stand boldly for our beliefs and commitments to the freedoms that we enjoy today. And I want to thank Donald Trump for his service and his place as one of the great leaders of all time. During, during the Trump years, folks, the American people recognized what qualities we needed in a leader. Nikki Haley has those very qualities desperately needed in America today. A fierce, a bold leader who will fight for America. Norman, who voted not to certify the 2020 election results, made headlines again in January when he was one of 20 Republicans who blocked House Speaker Kevin McCarthy from getting the gavel until several of his demands were met after the 11th round of voting, including better committee assignments, he's now on the powerful rules committee, and Norman is pushing a constitutional amendment limiting House members to three terms and senators to two. Haley has been pushing term limits in her opening speeches as well, but she thanked Norman in Charleston and said this. And to Ralph Norman, you know I would have been right there with you in Congress holding them accountable. God bless you. I love you. Thank you so much. She also had evangelical pastor and political activist John Hagee giving the opening prayer in Charleston. On this special day, we petition the courts of heaven to give Ambassador Nikki Haley a wise and understanding heart. Give her wisdom that is supernatural. Hagee has made controversial comments in the past, specifically anti-Semitic ones, which is surprising since a good bit of Haley's time at the UN was fighting for Israel, including calling out anti-Semitic biases that she saw and getting the U.S. Embassy moved to Jerusalem. So the anti-establishment bent which Haley channeled in her days as governor is a central part of her pitch and campaign image. It's a way of signaling to those Donald Trump supporters out there that she has some of that Trumpiness. But her rhetoric isn't anger and fear, rather it's strength and pride as seen through the lens of her accomplishments. She's even using anti-Washington rhetoric against one of her expected opponents and former colleague, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who recently hit her on the radio show New Hampshire Today with Chris Ryan. When asked about it on Friday morning as part of a three-talk radio station morning media blitz, Haley had this to say. Morning, it's New Hampshire Today. I am Chris Ryan. This hour show brought to you by Manchester Boston Regional Airport. We're so excited to have with us right now newly declared presidential candidate Nikki Haley. Let me add them to the batch of Don Lemon and Whoopi Goldberg. I'll tell you, Mike Pompeo, he's telling me I left governor to go to the U.N. He left Congress to go to CIA. There's literally no difference in that. Yet for me, I'm a quitter, but he's a patriot. And then the second thing is, look, I am not that Washington establishment person like he is. I don't think you have to stay forever. I believe in term limits. I put in eight full years of 24-7 time, and I think you have to go in, do your job, prove to the people you can do it, and know when to leave. This idea that these D.C. politicians think you have to stay forever, and the longer you stay, the better you are, that's what's gotten us into this situation. But look, these guys know I ran circles around them. And, you know, if this if they want to shoot at me, let them have at it. I proved to the American people what I was capable of. They saw at the U.N. what I did for them. They saw in South Carolina what I did for them. And I'll take Americans and South Carolinians all day long deciding what they think as opposed to guys like that. 
Haley's ability to buck the establishment is part of the narrative she tells voters after recounting her upbringing. She walks them through her political career, starting with how she knocked off a 30-year statehouse incumbent, Larry Kuhn of Lexington, in 2004 to become a three-term lawmaker in Columbia, where she pushed for greater transparency through on-the-record votes and the fallout that ensued. So if you didn't know how your House member voted 92% of the time, and you didn't know how your senator voted 99% of the time, how did you know who to vote for when you went to the polls? And the people of South Carolina were shocked. Now to put this into perspective, my first year in office, I was chairman of the freshman class. My second year, I was named majority whip. My third year, I was put on a powerful business committee. And my fourth year, I was subcommittee chair of banking. The year that I raised hell about having legislators vote on the record, the year that I refused to put the bill away, they stripped me of everything. I lost every assignment. I could take the well, nobody would listen. I could sponsor a bill, nobody would co-sponsor it with me. So I ran for governor. When it comes to her 2010 gubernatorial run, motivated by then-Governor Mark Sanford, she once again lays out how she did the improbable and knocked off three big dogs to become the state's first female and minority governor in history. Missing from these introductory remarks at these two town halls are some of the key points of her tenure as governor. Yes, she helped rebuild the state's economy following the Great Recession with the help of Commerce Secretary Bobby Hitt by growing the manufacturing industry in the state, which of course is paying dividends now. But right now, her stump speech has no mention of the crises she navigated the state through, such as natural disasters and the Mother Emanuel Amy Church shooting and the subsequent downing of the Confederate battle flag from Statehouse grounds. Nevertheless, her message of overcoming long odds is how she's motivating people to join her fight against what is expected to be a throwback to the large field of 2016, with people like Pompeo, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, former Vice President Mike Pence, and her own Senator Tim Scott, to name a few, possibly jumping in the race. Trump has already declared and has support from a solid third of the Republican primary field, depending on the polling. So it seems like long odds right now. But right after taking some time off over the last four years, she's putting the work in. Not through being preachy or screechy, not my words, someone told me that after the Manchester rally, but through pragmatism, engagement, and not by throwing punches unless she's returning fire. Take, for example, how she incorporates Trump into her narrative of being tough at the UN. Listen to the crowd here as well. I went back to my office and I told my staff, I said, I want you to put a book together for me. I want the book to have all 193 countries listed. I want the second column to show the percentage of times they voted with the United States and against the United States. And then I said, I want the last column to show how much foreign aid we give them. I took that book and I gave it to President Trump. He lost his mind, right? He totally lost his mind. And I said, I'm not giving you this to say we should give foreign aid based on a percentage vote or not. But what I'm saying is we will never buy friends. We need to stop in, in America trying to buy friends. You can't go and convince someone that's saying death to America every day by throwing money at them. They're always going to say death to America. We were giving a billion dollars in military aid to Pakistan. They were turning around and harboring terrorists trying to kill our soldiers. We stopped giving that billion dollars to Pakistan. 
She made a slight dig at DeSantis when talking about how parents need greater control over education and brought up Florida's controversial Don't Say Gay bill that limits what teachers can teach about gender identity and sexual orientation in schools. Here they're trying to talk about gender in schools. You know, there was all this talk about the Florida bill, the Don't Say Gay bill. Basically what it said was you shouldn't be able to talk about gender before third grade. I'm sorry, I don't think that goes far enough. I will note that when she brought that up in Exeter, I saw at least five people conspicuously leave the audience of some 250 people. Whether she didn't notice or care, she moved right along with her well-practiced speech, moving in and out of topics and stories, punctuated by applause lines and cheers. She also didn't get bogged down on the stump, wasting time addressing the fight of the day. The comments from CNN's Don Lemon, who was referencing her big Charleston applause line that America isn't past its prime, its politicians are, which is why she's pushing for competency tests for politicians over 75, something that would require a slight change to the Constitution and would pertain to former President Donald Trump, who is 76, and 80-year-old President Joe Biden. Here's Don Lemon on Thursday. She says people, you know, politicians or something are not in their prime. Nikki Haley isn't in her prime. Sorry. When a woman is considered to be in her prime in her 20s and 30s and maybe 40s. What do you talk about? That's not according to me. Prime for what? Uh, it depends. I mean, it's just like prime. If you look it up, it'll. If you look, if you Google when is a woman in her prime, it'll say twenties, thirties, and forties. I don't necessarily. Forties. Oh, I got it. I'm not decade. saying I agree with that. So I think she has to be careful about saying that. Well, you know, politicians aren't in their I think prime. You need, need to qualify. To are you talking about prime for like childbearing, or are you talking about prime for being president? The- Haley didn't address the Don Lemon remarks during her town halls. She was too focused, like I said, on introducing herself and talking about her experience to get into name calling. But she did when she let off the 10 a.m. hour on Fox News' newsroom on Friday, where she said this in response to Lemon. This is something that I have faced all of my life. If it's, it was Don Lemon yesterday, it was Whoopi Goldberg the day before, there will be somebody else tomorrow. I have always made the liberals' heads explode. They can't stand the fact that a minority conservative female would not be on the Democratic side because they know I pull independents. They know I pull suburban women. They know I pull minorities over to what we are trying to do. And look, he made that comment. I wasn't sitting there saying sexist, middle-aged CNN anchors need to have mental competency tests, although he may have just proven that point. What I was saying is we need to be transparent. Those elected officials that are making key decisions for us Americans on national security and keeping our kids safe and the debt, yes, we need to know exactly that we're sending people that are mentally competent to do that. I asked a few people about that proposed competency test here, and this is what Barbara Tennis had to say in Manchester. I'm getting close to 75 myself, and uh, I certainly don't feel like I would be very effective at, at this time of my life, so, uh, although I would have been when I was younger, so I think it's a good idea. But on the stump, she was telling her story, whether that was in a sweater and pants or a long blue suede dress and matching boots. She spoke easily and clearly. Remember, the AI-based transcription service Trent said in 2017 that she was the most effective communicator to transcribe. She made foreign policy understandable and relatable, something politicians either gloss over, get too wonky on, or use fiery rhetoric instead. Here she is on Ukraine days before the anniversary of the Russian invasion. So this war with Ukraine, it's not a war about Ukraine. This is about a war on freedom. And it's a war we have to win. Because if Russia takes Ukraine, 
They've said Poland and the Baltics are next, and we're looking at a world war. And if Russia wins, you can bet China's going to take Taiwan, Iran's going to get the bomb, and North Korea's going to have a field day. If they lose, it tells every dictator and enemy of the West, don't mess with us. That's the key we have to do. Now, what does that mean? That does not mean we send troops. It does not mean we write blank checks. What it means is we get together with those NATO countries and we say, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And we all make sure they have the equipment and the ammunition to win that for themselves. That's what we do when it comes to Ukraine. She kept people's attention. Few were looking bored or at their phones unless they were taking photos as she walked around stages and made eye contact with folks like Matthew Coombs, who went to the executive town hall as a Trump supporter, but came out a Haley convert, clutching three autographed copies of Haley's autobiography with all due respect. Coombs, a New Hampshire native who has worked on presidential campaigns before, said she could beat Trump. Secret to New Hampshire politics, as well as Iowa, where I work there, you need to go to the pizza barns in Iowa. You need to come to the town halls in New Hampshire. President, she didn't, she wasn't, I, I gotta get out of here. She stayed till everybody in this place got their autograph, got their picture, and got to ask them a question why they were getting their picture, even if they couldn't do it publicly. She answered my question. And she, she, and she showed compassion, not fake compassion, not, oh, I feel for you. She said, I know people that died from the COVID vaccines. We, we have to protect these people. So I felt a connection with this woman today. So now I'm going to go tomorrow night. I wasn't planning on going. I'm going to take one or two people with me. I'm going to drag them with me. So as long as she's like that, and she presses the flesh of people and takes all the time they need, she'll start to shoot up. She will. She'll do very well. And who knows, she'll be, she may be, there's been upsets here in New Hampshire. She could be Donald Trump if she, if she just does the see, Donald Trump's too big, unfortunately, to sign autographs, take pictures, and do the town halls. She does it, she could be, she could be done. And she keep staying compassionate and caring. She even has crossover appeal, which will come in handy in the state where, again, there is a lot of room to sway independents who want less government involvement in their lives. Live free or die is real up here, folks. They say it and they mean it. 18-year-old Nick Fasano traveled three hours from Rhode Island to attend the town hall at St. Anselm's College with two of his friends on a Friday evening. Oh, and he's also a registered Democrat, like his friend Kaylee Darling, who he traveled with to see their friend Mia Clark and to hear Nikki Haley. So we went a number of ways. I took a train from Connecticut back to Rhode Island, and then we drove up. Yeah. I go to school in New Hampshire, so I was already here. We came for this event. It was like two birds, one stone. Yeah, I, um, I called Kaylee, uh, and I said, hey, in two weeks, do you want to come to New Hampshire? There's a presidential candidate. And uh, luckily, Kaylee will go for any adventure, so here we are. <laughs> I mean, I'm interested in seeing all the candidates. Um, but I've been particularly interested in the uh, former ambassador for a number of years. I've read her memoir, and I was expecting her to announce uh, that she'd be running, and I was excited to go to her first, uh, first events. I'm a bit more moderate. I, uh, I'm a registered Democrat, but I was definitely interested in a lot of what she said about unity and bringing people in more, and I liked the aspirational visit, uh, vision she laid out. I think some of her policy points I definitely disagree with, especially when she brought up uh, energy prices and her plan to deal with those. I think it's the wrong plan. 
but I agree with her aspirational vision for the nation, and I'm definitely interested to see how her campaign continues. Just a note that traveling several hours to see Haley is not rare. I met people from New Jersey and Charleston and heard reports of folks driving from Michigan and elsewhere. That's something you typically see at Trump rallies, I'll let you know. Now, Nick's two friends are also Democrats, so don't expect them to cast their first ballots for Haley in 2024, but they were engaged and interested. Here's Kaylee. Um, I like her passion and I like the way she speaks about things. And um, definitely she has a sense of community and she wants to empower everybody. But I, I don't agree with a lot of what she said like uh, about critical race theory, the don't say gay bill. I don't agree with her stances on those. Um, yeah, it, it's a little more conservative than I personally am. Um, I'm also a registered Democrat. While she was taking questions at the New Hampshire Institute of Politics at St. Anselm's College in Manchester, she was interrupted by someone who was close to the stage that called out a question. Now, this is always a test of a candidate, but take a listen to this interaction between Haley and David Bacon, who called out record energy company profits while she was talking about the need to open up the energy sector. We all want to make sure that we're saving it for our children and our grandchildren, but you work with the producers. You don't condemn them. And then you... Who took advantage of the COVID thing? The companies. The, the oil companies had the largest profits they've ever had just now. It's not Biden doing that. Do you know why they could? Do you know? Biden does have problems. We agree on that. We agree on that. No, no, no. I know that. No. But let me tell you, first of all, do they have higher profits? Yes. We agree. We agree on that. We agree on that. The second. Hold on. It's all right. No, I love your passion. So first of all, I agree with you that Biden's got problems. Second, I agree with you that those companies have the highest profits they've ever had. Third, I will tell you that my reasoning is the reason they've got the highest profits they ever had is because we don't have more of the energy sector open. It's supply and the demand. The more supply we have, those prices go down. Then they have to compete. When we have competition among the energy sector, their profits level out. And more than that, families don't pay those big prices. Overall, Haley executed by my objective and cynical eye a strong launch week. There were really no visible missteps that I saw. There were no empty seats or even audio issues. She shook as many hands, took as many selfies, and signed everything from photos to boxy mitts, no matter how long it took. This is a campaign, again, that has been years in the making that her team executed with skill. There was a strong command of the news cycle, from preempting her own announcement with a video drop on Tuesday, the day before her public announcement with 2,000-plus people in Charleston, to Don Lemon's remarks on Thursday which her team immediately used for fundraising and got her on TV Friday with town halls in between and a Fox News Sunday appearance on top of it all. All of this helped drown out Senator Tim Scott's attempt to snag some of that attention from launching his listening tour the day after her announcement in Charleston. When asked about Scott in New Hampshire, some didn't know him. Others said that they were very interested. Such is the nature of this early part of the calendar. But what does Haley think about his potential run? Here was her response on Fox News Sunday. You know, I, I appointed him to the Senate in South Carolina because I knew he would do a good job and he has done a good job and he is a friend and he has a, a decision to make. And if he decides to get in, that's fine. If he doesn't, that's fine. Again, I'm very focused on what I need to do. We will have multiple people get in the race. Most of them are my friends, but my focus is on Joe Biden and the American families. Haley's holding a town hall on Monday and Tuesday this week, and Scott will participate in two events in Des Moines on Wednesday. 
and I'll be at all of them for y'all. Now with the news of former President Jimmy Carter entering hospice care this weekend, President Joe Biden's trip to Poland right after he went to Kiev ahead of the anniversary of the war, and who knows what else, it's easy to say that Haley won't be replicating last week's news cycle. Instead, it will be a bit more of campaigning as usual, and so too will the grind for the next several months as we march on toward the early voting caucuses and primaries, including our own next February. Now, you probably thought we'd have a little break there, but um, no, but I am going to close this out really quickly because I know we're talking about our first foray into Haley's messaging, as you just heard, but y'all are thinking to yourselves, neat. I still don't A, care about New Hampshire, B, know why I should care about New Hampshire, or C, all the above because I'm in South Carolina and our primary is the best there ever is and the other states be damned. We pick the presidential nominees. With the exception of Newt Gingrich in 2012 and John Edwards in 2004. Whatever, dear listener, I will say that I was once like you until I went to the Granite State and lived free, though I did not die. I asked several folks to explain to y'all what New Hampshire politics looks like what it takes to win the state, and more. So here's the host of New Hampshire Today, Chris Ryan, and his view from the ground right now. Take a listen to this great radio voice. Yeah, I think that right now we're wondering how big the field is going to be. Um, I think there's a lot of folks that have talked about getting into the race. Generally at this point in a nominating contest, we have seen a lot of candidates come to the state. That has not been you know, the case so far. So we know Trump is going to have a base of anywhere between 25 to 35% here in the state. We know that folks are excited about Ron DeSantis. We don't exactly know what that means. And there's all these other people that may or may not run. So it's still a process of trying to figure out who the candidates are going to be, what their message is going to be. So very much in the pre-primary stage. I think this was a great time for Nikki Haley to announce. And you know, we've been pining for who's going to be the first person you know, to get in because the, there was a vacuum that was existing. Trump had announced back in November. He had come here, done a really brief stop, um, but there hadn't been any real candidate events. So you look at the 250 people at Nikki, Hall, Nikki Haley's event. Yeah, it was about her, but it was also about the fact that people are ready for the primary to begin. And um, there was a thirst for a candidate to get into the race. She filled that vacuum. And, you know, I think that she is a candidate that a lot of people are going to look at very closely uh, throughout the course of this contest. So I mentioned at the top an overview of what New Hampshire voters look for. Here's Chris's take. Yeah, I think a, a really good way to look at it is that when you, the candidates start to talk about social issues, that is a little bit of a turnoff to folks. But when you talk about limited government, when you talk about, um, you know, economic responsibility, that's where candidates are really able to connect here. I mean, New Hampshire has... A lot of government officials, perhaps I think more so than any per capita than any state in the country, but it's all about localized government. We do not like, you know, the governor or a president saying this is how you have to do things. It's based upon local control and fiscal responsibility. So if you mention those things, you will connect where, um, you know, the other issues, it's much more of a libertarian type of, of thinking uh, when it comes to, you know, social issues. That was New Hampshire Today's Chris Ryan there giving you a little more insight on New Hampshire politics. Live free or die. Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news. We're glad you're here. This is our chance. This is our chance to talk about things that are not news related or Iowa related, New Hampshire related. 
Hey, it's, it, uh, it's our ch- it's our chime. It's our time down here, our time. guys. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking goonies. this back. I'm taking them all back. That's right. That's <laughs> At Shire there. Our producer, the lead, quoting some Goonies love right there. Thank you, At, for that little flashback. <laughs> yeah. Iconic movie. Iconic movie, yeah. Sean Astin in it, but I like to think that he is Samwise Gamgee instead of whatever his Rudy name is in that movie. Yeah, you know, know, I've never seen uh, Rudy, so I better not say that too loudly out here. Not that great of a movie. I'm not gonna lie. Jeez, we're just Um, good thing we're. I'm in Iowa, not Indiana, right? Wow, Indiana. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, yeah, Goonies, great movie, real slapstick childhood humor, great stuff. Steven Spielberg. Hey, Spielberg. Spielberg. Okay. Spielberg, Spielberg right? film. That's a that's a classic Spielberg joint. Anyway, Gavin, we got a call from an old friend who listened to this last episode and was compelled to call in. So oh. we're going from New Hampshire to Des Moines, Iowa, to South Carolina, back to New England here. Okay, oh my God. This, All right. this is quite yeah. This we're quantum leaping. <laughs> uh, speaking of '80s stuff, so uh, let's go. Yep. Hey, Gavin and AT. This is long time no call. Your Trader Joe, straight from the 4.30 a.m. drive to work here in Massachusetts. On the episode I just listened to about the history of Nikki Haley, how um, when you played the clip of 2015, whenever the Confederate flag finally came off, he did have the grounds, finally. Um, I was standing there right there on Bay and Maine watching it with the rest of the crowd that was there. And hearing that giant uh, cheers just gave my uh, spine a little chill. It was definitely something I hadn't thought about in a little while. And hearing that kind of brought me back to that moment. And it was such a great moment. Um, I don't know. I'm just hoping that other people were there to celebrate it. And when they heard it, also had a little moment of uh, moment of reliving that celebration. Um, and also, to mention that, I think it was a week later, whenever we had some out-of-state unwelcome guests come try to have a little rally on the state house steps, on the side steps. They were, a little earlier than they anticipated, removed and quickly booted out by about, I don't know, maybe two or 3,000 people. It was just a great week, great weekend. Uh, thanks for helping me relive that in my head. I hope you guys are doing well. hope you guys are staying warm. And, um, yeah, stay safe out there. Trader Joe, thank you for that shout out. And we're glad you're still listening. Love that. And also the 4.30 a.m. drive to work. I mean, I try to get to the gym at 4.30. I can't even imagine being like fully clothed and like prepped for the day and out the door driving at 4.30. And that's I think it's a a truly cursed time that I'm glad that I am (laughs) unconscious for, for the most part. Uh, (laughs) I don't want to live at that hour. I I enjoy it for the most part. If I'm in a good mood, if I I woke up at night, it's like, oh, God, keep me in bed. (laughs) I do want I do want to revisit what he was saying, though, and that um, talking about the flag coming down. Um, I was also there that day too. I was across the street in the old in, in the BB and T building, which is like as true as now. But I was up at the Capital City Club because I wanted to get a shot from down because it was so packed out. I was at the morning news and I having like real credentials to get down and into the thick of it. And it was just like, let me get a different angle and see what it looks like from above. Yeah. And you could hear that roar coming up after the flag was coming down. And I, I mean, I definitely remember that too. And I haven't heard anything like that since. And I mean, it was it was it stuck huge. with you, yeah. yeah. It really was. I remember that that was one of the first gigs I had at ETV working with television. This is before you were here, Gavin. Mm-hmm. And 
I got sat back in the big rack rooms and everything, and I was working the bleep button in uh. case anyone was cursing. Or anything. Mm-hmm. So that was my job. And I was like, I don't really know what's going on. Is this going to be a big deal? Why am I working a bleep button? And then I saw that massive crowd and everyone, yeah, like yeah, the just sound of everyone yeah. letting loose at that same time as it went down. Like it was very, very powerful. You're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like something you would hear at a you know Williams Bryce Stadium for a touchdown or something like that. But exactly. it was in a small yeah. space right downtown, so it was very exactly. Yeah, it was like a sound tunnel of catharsis. It was it was kind of nuts. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Gavin, that's enough about South Carolina and yes. enough about Iowa. Okay, you're freezing in Iowa. I'm we freezing. All know that. I'm freezing. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about we teased before. That the town food of Manchester was oh, yes. chicken nuggets, chicken, chicken and tenders, chicken mud tenders, slide. chicken tenders, yeah. and a mudslide was the drink. So, yes. did you experience them? What was what was the fallout? Yes, I, I did. I got uh, turned on to it by someone I talked to, and uh, luckily enough, we were talking about Trader Joe being over there in Boston. A friend of mine came up from Boston. My friend Jen, who used to live in South Carolina, so it really worked out because mm-hmm. I haven't seen her in like a year. She came up. We, we did some. Um, we did like a brewer, two breweries, and we went to this Puritan back room, which is just a funny name for a place because you think it could be any number of things, but it's just a. <laughs> it's just a, like a basically what you would expect if you went to like a, a country restaurant in South Carolina, yeah. right? like a big yeah, open yeah, space. Yeah. I'm not saying it's a buffet, but it had that vibe. Um, yeah. And so the you know the you're looking at the menu and of course like the big thing is like the chicken tenders and it was like nineteen dollars for chicken tenders I'm like well these better be some good chicken tenders they and better, fries yeah, these better be life changing I tell you what <laughs> I've never seen so many chicken tenders on a plate <laughs> I'm like oh my god I had like five of them there's still like fifteen left and I was like oh my god and I'm washing it down with this giant like bowl basically it's just like if you get like a grande margarita you know what i'm talking about like that kind of yeah. size mudslide <laughs> so disgusting like, if you look at my twitter you can see it it's like what is <laughs> i mean i was happy as a hog but it's like this is so bizarre um this is this is also i just want to stipulate for everyone this is the man who wanted to do the hundred nugget challenge yes. and you're commenting that this was too much chicken on a plate my uh my stomach has shrunk since that challenge but <laughs> <laughs> but we also we think that the, we were there a little bit later towards closing so they might have been like clearing out all the chicken because people started mm, leaving stuff sad um and my friend jen had a version of chicken tenders over like big ZD or something like that so there's different versions Ooh, it's I all don't carved like hearing out. That. like i they, don't like hearing they that give you, they give though, you bread and then they give you these chicken and then they give you the fries and they gave you a little side of duck sauce too which was interesting and i had had duck sauce in a while it was nice very Um, strange but it was good too because i had leftovers so then the next day when i woke up and i was in my mudslide malaise yes I was like, where are the tenders? <laughs> and it lasted. I mean, I, I still couldn't finish the lunch the next day. I had like one tender that's, left over. And you know me. Is, I can't. I mean, I have to eat everything. I know. That's what I'm saying. That is crazy. That is a lot of chicken. I mean, yeah. you probably had more than, what, two two chickens on a plate? That's <laughs> Yeah. A little, it's a little offensive, honestly, if you ask me, especially with the price of eggs right now. I know. Come can on. you believe? Well, then I say that I mentioned that we had the free breakfast down at the um, back in New Hampshire, and, and you know, you get your basic breakfast crap at the at the front desk, and they have the fake eggs, but then they had just a whole pile of hard boiled eggs. I was like, what is this? The Ritz? Are we, is the president coming? <laughs> I thought you were going to say that they had, it was locked and you had to ask for eggs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> two eggs, two eggs per customer. Yeah. There was no egg limit. There was no lock. It was this free. Is a tight, tight limit. They're on top of this. Okay. <laughs> I was like, wow. So I put a bunch of eggs in my pocket and I went on my way. 
Naturally, yeah, naturally. <laughs> anyway, Gavin, I hope you have a good time staying warm. Uh, na- and again, naturally, Gavin has a drop top Mustang. Yeah, uh, I, am a, <laughs> I am a Mustang in Iowa. So, uh, so we'll see Gavin, if I put the top down. <laughs> I hope uh, your your groundwork this way is, this this week is very fruitful. Uh, all listeners, we love you and miss you, and we don't talk to you, so please call in. Okay, so Gavin, hit him with the outro, bro. Thank you all for uh, for giving us the support we need to get through this week on the ground out here. I can't wait to get back to South Carolina, but give us some shouts. Let me uh, hear what it's like back home, 803-563-7169. Or if you're out and about like our good friend Trader Joe, we love hearing from you guys as well. And you can always show us your appreciation by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. And you can stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and South Carolina Public radio.org and don't forget to support your local newspapers for the south carolina lead i'm gavin jackson be well south carolina i'm an empath and i'm sensing something <gasps> oh <laughs> i'm an empath no no sh- 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 don't let me heal let me heal <laughs>